I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier. We're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass, busted draft pick, and game-changing play. Or play call. Intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Sorry, Marshawn, still too soon. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow and listen to Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. I mean, the possibilities are limitless, Kevin. What if Portland drafted Michael Jordan? What if the NBA never vetoed the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers? That's a butterfly effect for real. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. The following is a presentation of Radio.com Sports. Radio.com Sports presents Big Time Baseball. Fly ball back in the deep right center field. Lorenzo King. Got you covered with the best in the business. Deep down the left field line, it's gone. Manny Machado breaks it open with a three-run shot. With veteran play-by-play voice Josh Lewin. A slam ball game! And MLB insider John Heyman. His numbers would look so much better if there weren't guys compiling 600 home runs. Each week will feature a comprehensive look at Major League Baseball, the biggest stories, and a breakdown of the divisions leading up to the 2019 championship race. Harper to center, way back, see you later! It's all right here on Radio.com Sports Big Time Baseball. Brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. Radio.com Sports presents Big Time Baseball. It's brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class alongside John Heyman. I'm Josh Lewin, and together, every week, we bring you insight into the top storylines all across baseball and a rundown of what's going on division by division is probably a good way to do it, we figure, so we'll get to that momentarily. But also this week, we'll be chatting with Bobby Valentine and wish it was under better circumstances. He, as you may know, was a very close friend of the late Bill Buckner, and we wanted to get his memories, and John and I will will kind of uh, do a little bit of that as well. Very sad to hear the passing of Billy Buck. Uh, Chris Woodward will join us too. Rangers manager will talk some AL West. Big Time Baseball, a part of Radio.com, which allows you to listen to your favorite radio stations free of charge anytime, anywhere. I've got over 300 stations, over 1,100 podcasts now, and it's all available. Uh, find it on Twitter if you want to. We're at RDC Sports. A lot of ways to get involved. Nice to have John Heyman. What your biggest takeaways were over a long weekend? We're, we're taping this on a Tuesday instead of a Monday because it was a long weekend. For me, uh, and this won't surprise you, I guess, because I'm in San Diego now, I'm, I'm eating a burrito 
uh, just, you know, random, you know, Mexican restaurant overlooking the water, having a nice time. And the Dodgers game is on. So, of course, I'm watching it a little bit. I know this is not an urgent news bulletin. This is not breaking news that Bellinger is a good player. But good Lord, I mean, a, a throw from right field that was positively puigish. He's bombing these home runs. He's making a run at a 400 batting average. I just kind of put it in my mind that you, you can't watch this guy enough the way he's going right now. So that was kind of first and foremost as I look at what to take away from the weekend is that Bellinger is awesome. Uh, you got something better than that? <laughs> I don't know if I have anything better than Bellinger. First on Bellinger, and we've touched on him in uh, past podcasts, uh, just an amazing, amazing talent. I, I would say if you ask me who the most talented all-around player in baseball is, I know we all have given Mike Trout the mantle of the best player in the game, but the most talented all-around player right now might be Bellinger because of that fantastic arm. He could get on the mound and throw 94 if you wanted him to, but from the outfield, uh, he's got the most accurate and best arm in baseball right now. He's got incredible speed, four percent, top 4% in baseball in terms of speed, and in terms of hitting, nobody is matching him, and the talent that he's showing is really all coming through right now. I was the LCS MVP once, but uh, it, it's amazing what he's doing. And if he ke- I can't keep this pace up, but if he comes close to it, uh, you know, he may have the best year, non-steroid year, since Mickey Mantle mm-hmm. in 1956. Uh, I, I cannot think of a year that would match this one. Right now, he's got an OPS uh, over 1,200, incredible, uh, slugging over 750, and you throw in that gold glove defense. Amazing. So I guess my answer would be I'm the same as you. Bellinger's the guy who stood out. If you ask me something else, I'd say the Oakland A's, who've now won uh, on an incredible winning streak. Uh, You know, uh, uh, they do it every year, it seems to me, for what they put in in terms of the finances. Uh, Obviously, Billy Bean was the one who came up with a money ball. It was well-documented, probably over-documented. Some teams caught up for a while. Now he and Dave Force have got some new ideas. Bob Melvin, one of the best managers in the game, and uh, you really cannot never count them out. You, you look at Frankie Montas. He's third in the AL, fifth in the majors in ERA. I, I guess he's added a splitter, and that's part of it. But they always seem to unearth some guys that you just never would have thought of before. Now they've got Matt Olson back. Chris Davis is down, but but won't be forever. Uh, the Astros are still the Astros, though. As, as long as we're in the AL West, let's kind of kick it off here. They've certainly got the depth to survive an injury or two. Uh, Springer is out right now. Altuve's on his way back in. Doesn't it dawn on you that if if and when this team is at full complement, I mean, there's no holes. Their bullpen is almost perfect. They've got this powerhouse rotation, and they can score nine runs a game on you. Right now, you know, I think Houston's the best team in the American League. It's hard to argue with that. Boston obviously won 108 games last year in the regular season. Got off to a rough start, but uh, you look at that Houston team, uh, top to bottom, uh, tough to match, and that's why I picked them in the American League. Uh, you know, no matter who they play, they seem to play well. And uh, they, uh, even with Altuve out, even without Springer, uh, they've got a fantastic lineup. Uh, Bregman, a superstar, can play short as well as third, and is doing so. Uh, that, that pitching staff is extremely talented. Uh, Verlander and Cole gives you one of the best one-two punches, if not the best one-two punch in baseball. So Houston, they're going to be tough to beat. But uh, I still give Oakland credit for uh, doing what they are doing. I look at the AL East, John, and obviously the Yankees with their B team 
doing what they're doing. They're, they're just an amazing story. And there's a, a little caveat there because they've had all these games against the Orioles. Gary Sanchez is 10 for 28 with seven homers, 16 runs batted in in seven games just to Camden Yards this year. Glaber Torres, seven home runs. I think he's 12 for 23 at Camden Yards. So, you know, the, the Orioles have, I think it's 22 more home runs at their ballpark than just Sanchez and Torres do as visitors this year. So the, the Yankees are, are getting fat against the teams they're supposed to be beating. That's part of it. We'll have the Red Sox roll in for four this weekend, and I guess that's a better opportunity for them to prove that they are really who they are right now. want to ask you about Boston because Dustin Pedroia made the comments uh, just the other day that he's going to have to take a little step back here. The rehab is kind of on hold. Is his career kind of angling towards the old David Wright situation now where it's like he, he really wants to, everybody in baseball wants him to, but it just might not be there? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to say that at this point, that is a possibility. Uh, he admitted that he wasn't sure if he was going to be able to play again. So uh, for him to admit that, that tells you uh, that he is seriously worried about it. He's tried a couple of comebacks, had a few knee operations, and um, he's just going to have to rest uh, for a while longer and uh, give it another shot or two. Uh, he's still young enough where you think he can be productive if he can get on the field and uh, without too much pain. So I, I think we're going to see him give it a try for another year or two, perhaps. But uh, he certainly is worried about it. And if he is worried about it, I think we all should be. And the team in the middle of Boston and New York right now continues to be Tampa Bay. And it seems like once a podcast, John, we make some sort of commentary about how Tampa Bay does more with less. And if you want to look at, at dollars spent per war for uh, wins above replacement the last three years into this one, just for example, the Giants were at about $9 million per. Tigers also about $9 million per. The Orioles at $8 million per. Tampa Bay's at one point eight. I mean, it's not even close how, how they maximize what, what they invest in. And I guess just more and more, you, you look at what they're putting together this year, the, the pitching staff, Chirinos is, is unbelievable. Uh, you know, when, when Snell and Glass now are both healthy and, and in that rotation, everything they've got, you, you just don't ever say that they're going to flicker out on you here. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Our ode, our weekly ode to, uh, to Tampa Bay. I think I I, f I feel less guilty doing this because it's <laughs> uh, I I I never pick them. I never have them in the play. Not because I feel that they're a bad team, but if you're in the AL East, you're playing so many games against uh, New York and Boston, and having to try to uh, beat them out. It's just very difficult, and I never have them making the playoffs, and they somehow managed to do it uh, much more than any of us think, and I give them credit, and I think it's just they make a lot of good decisions. Um, you know, even when they make a bad decision, which w one of them was to give that long deal to Longoria after the first deal had been such a bargain for them, uh, they knew when to cut bait. They, they understood that at this point, Longoria was on the downside, and at that rate, that wasn't something Tampa was going to be able to do, and uh, they moved on. Uh, you know, you might say that they're they're heartless. I don't look at it that way. They <laughs> they have to make the tough decisions in that market. They they still aren't drawing, which is a shame. We talked to Mark Dopkin last week. It's unfortunate. That's the way it is. Uh, they still don't have the revenue, and yet they are still hanging in there uh, with the two big boys in that uh, very difficult division. Tampa Bay's got a showdown with the Twins this weekend. The Twins lead the majors in home runs, which I think is remarkable, not just because of they're the Twins, 
but you know their, their early season playing conditions a lot of their april and, and may home games are in freezing cold but they also have the the third fewest strikeouts of any team in the majors right now behind just the angels and the astros and you know last year the red sox one of the things they did so well they put the ball in play they had the fifth fewest strikeouts in baseball 2017 astros won the world series they had the fewest strikeouts in baseball same for the 2015 royals it was all about just keeping the line moving and that's a weird thing, I think, to suggest about this Twins team. We knew they would hit some home runs, right, because they bring in Cruz and Cron and Scope and guys like that. But all this contact they're making, and it's not just Williams Astadio. He's, he's not even playing right now. It's like all of a sudden they know how to make contact and, and sustain rallies. We might be right because I actually yeah, had the Twins in that division. <laughs> I, 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 I think so. I'm feeling very good about this one with their big lead, and obviously the Indians are not performing like usual. So right now it, it looks like it's going to be Twins division. I don't want to call anything uh, around the, in May, but uh, that's the way it looks. Uh, you know, they looked – Fantastic in spring training. Uh, they can really hit. And the guys you brought in, plus Marwin Gonzalez, uh, you know, they went out and brought in four guys and did in the middle of winter or sometimes in the late winter, not like the winter before when they really scraped for bargains and did all those one-year deals, uh, late signings that didn't seem to work. This time, they're all working. Cron uh, uh, has been fantastic. Um, uh, Cruz, uh, we know what he has done in the past and will continue to do. Uh, Marwin Gonzalez can play any position, play third for a while before Sano came back, can move to the outfield, so very versi- versatile player who can help them. And you know what? Their pitching, too, is a little bit overlooked. It's been absolutely fantastic. Uh, we knew Barrios is really good, but you know what? Odorisi has been one of the best pitchers in the league. Uh, he's a free agent a- after the year, and uh, that's good timing for him. Uh, Gibson, another guy who's a free agent after the year, is, is pitching well. And overall, they're in the top three or four in pitching in the league. Uh, so to go with that offense, they're, they're just dominating. And uh, I, I'm going to call this one now. I think that division is over. Bang. Tap out right now, late May. I think so. Uh, I think so. <laughs> so NL East, let, let's spend a few minutes there, John, if you don't mind. Uh, the Mets seem to have kind of steered out of the skid a little bit. Washington is still terrible. They're, they're somehow 2-10 and ten in games that Scherzer starts. And that's all the bullpen. I saw a stat where the the bullpen in Max's starts is something like 11.7, which is just insane. Washington's bullpen is its undoing. Is Atlanta's bullpen strong enough to kind of give them a push? Because they've got so many other good things going right now, from the kids like Austin Riley and Mike Soroka to guys that we forget are kids because they've been around a couple years now, like Albies and Acuna. I mean, there's baby-faced assassins here, the two of them. But can Washington ever get out of their own way here? (laughs) <laughs> well, I think Washington is in trouble. They they uh, dug too big a hole for themselves, and you just wonder how they're going to piece together that pen, particularly with them right on the luxury threshold and not wanting to spend. Uh, I'm not counting out Atlanta. I did pick Philly in that division off of their huge winter with Bryce Harper and Real Muto and Segura and all the rest. It was too hard uh, to pick against them, but obviously Atlanta winning last year, having that nucleus that you referenced uh, they are clearly a threat. I do think they need to do something. I think they will look at uh, Keichel and Kimbrell. Uh, I think that will be consideration for the Braves. Uh, I, I think they need help in that pen. They need to fix it to do it, but I, I'm certainly not counting them out, not with the nucleus that they have. And with Philly, I mean, obviously they imp- they're vastly improved, but they were just average last year. Uh, they had a long way to go, really, to catch the Braves. And... Um, 
you know, I still think we're going to have a, a, a great battle in that division. But I, unfortunately for the Nats, I don't see them as part of it, despite having some great young talent as well. They've got a little bit of a nucleus themselves, and certainly top three in that rotation is fantastic. But you've got a pen like that that is just killing not just Scherzer, but everybody else. Uh, yeah. It's tough to come back from. And Scherzer, you're right. With that 11-pen ERA, I, I saw someone mention it, call it supporting him. I mean, that is not supporting him, I would say. <laughs> it's it's kind of like DeGrom last year. Uh, you know, Scherzer's not having the year that DeGrom had last year, but he's having a year where he should – reverse that deal and be 10 and two, not two and 10 in, in and, his starts. And John, before we jump out of the NL East, I just want to throw this at you because Miami's not a team. We're going to talk about that much this year on the podcast, but it, it dawned on me. It's not just Yelich, Ozuna, Stanton being somewhere else, but remembering that they traded Chris Paddock for a very ineffective Fernando Rodney. They traded Luis Castillo twice. They traded Trevor Williams for a kid named Rich Mitchell they dealt away Domingo Herman. Can you imagine? I mean, forget about the outfielders that they traded away. How about if they had that rotation right now that we just threw? That's out quite a list, and a good job by you to to recount and remember all of them. Yeah, Trevor Williams, that was a giveaway, I think, in some kind of a coach deal to get a coach. Uh, very, yeah. very odd uh, trade that was. And obviously, Paddock uh, looks like a star. As does Castillo and Herman. Frankly, they all could be all stars. We could have all the ex-Marlin all stars. It's good. Uh, the All-Star Game is not in uh, Florida, in Miami this year. It would be kind of a little bit embarrassing, but they've got their other issues to deal with. Uh, you know, uh, it's trouble for them. I mean, they, uh, they still have arms. They did get arms in other trades. Uh, some of their guys look pretty good. I think they may trade Urania, but uh, you know, Alcantara and some of the other kids look like they're going to be able to throw uh, but uh, that rebuild is going to take a while. Irrespective of all the gut arms that they gave away, they still don't really have a lineup going forward. They don't have right. a nucleus, and that is really their biggest issue. I know we can all sit here and regret all the trades that they made, and Herman was another one, right? Came in, That was in the Prado deal where he was thrown in there. Uh, but eventually their big problem is they need to have position players, which they do not have. Hey, we've got Bobby Valentine standing by. We'll get to him in just a couple minutes. So let's kind of, I don't mean to give short shrift to the NL Central, but Josh Bell's an absolute stud. that That's my take on the NL Central right now. <laughs> that's a good take. Uh, he thank, probably won't win uh, the MVP well, thanks to Yellowjin and Bellinger, but he, he could be third. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned Bellinger because we had a finish in the NL West. We've talked about him already a little bit, but since he went into the weekend, John, hitting 390, just anyone had been at 390 since Chipper Jones back in 08, wouldn't that be kind of a cool uh, barometer to see if he can get this sustained, if he can make a little run at 400? Would that be a day-to-day, must-follow kind of deal? Would that? I mean, it's just been so long since 400 <laughs> has been a thing. I, I love those 400 runs. Uh, we uh, Todd Helton had one, uh, obviously, at, at different points. Uh, Brett, we had Chipper Jones, we had uh, Gwynn. Uh, uh, but, you know, to me, those were guys who were established as 300-plus hitters. Uh, this would be remarkable. He obviously revamped his swing, uh, changed some things. He's now excellent against lefties. Uh, as you recall, he didn't even play against many lefties in the past. Uh, he's certainly a different player than he was. But, uh, you know, I look at him more as a 
great all-around talent who's having a fantastic season with the slugging, the arm, the speed, everything that he gives you. I, I will be surprised. Now, it's helpful that he's very fast among the top 5% in baseball in terms of speed, and that will help him keep that average up there. But, I, you know, I'd love to see it, but I, I'm just not sure we're going to see that from him. I, I'm looking more at the all-around game from Bellinger. I hear you. Well, I, I ended with the Dodgers on purpose because we got Bobby Valentine standing by, and, and Bobby obviously was part of an amazing uh, run of, of young players way back in the day, late 60s, early 70s. It came up with the likes of the now late Bill Buckner. So we're going to be talking with Bobby momentarily, get his memories of Billy Buck. A lot more to do on the uh, the podcast today, Radio.com Sports presenting Big Time Baseball. There's a shot, heat toward right field. Washington back, and Washington can't get it. The ball is loose. Washington is into the stands. Buckner is around second base. He is headed for home. He's going to have it inside the park. Home run. It is big-time baseball. It's presented by Radio.com Sports. It's presented to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class, and along with John Heyman, Josh Lewin. Always awesome to have Bobby Valentine. Just a, a fountain of great information on everything regarding this sport but unfortunately, uh, a really sad circumstance called, uh, called on us to give Bobby a call. That's the passing of Bill Buckner. Bobby, if you don't mind diving right in, I mean, obviously, John knew him a little bit. I knew him a little bit. You knew Bill really, really, really well going back to your Dodger days. So uh, I know you certainly knew how, how dire it was. The, the dementia was just a, a, a terrible, terrible thing for him and for his family. But uh, when you got the news, obviously, I have to imagine you were you were very very sad. Well, you know, I was sad, but I I was also a little uplifted. Uh, I had spoken to Buck a couple days ago, and uh, you know, the conversation was he wanted to meet me on the other side. You know, he he knew it was going to be his time very shortly, and he was hoping that it was going to happen quicker rather than later, and uh, it did. So. Yeah, I was sad. I'm sad to that I lost a great friend and a great person, but he suffered more in a lifetime than than anyone ever deserved to. And with this uh, last last bout with dementia and uh, how how much he suffered, uh, I just didn't want to see it anymore. Hey, Bobby, uh, John Heyman here. I, I know you knew Billy as well as anybody. Uh, going back to those. Uh, 70s minor leagues with the Tommy Lasorda group uh, with Steve Garvey and Tommy Hutton and Tom Pachorek and I know uh, you're still good friends with with many of them Uh, take us back there and and tell us what Billy Buckner was like at that at that point Uh, obviously we know he had 2700 hits in the major league so he's quite a hitter but uh, I know that you and he and you were an incredible, incredible runner and someone who's drafted or was uh, recruited by USC to be a, uh, one of their great running backs. And uh, you and he had races. Well, one of the things you guys did, you'd be racing with Bill Buckner, which is hard to believe because, uh, you know, you had your leg injury and he had some severe ankle injury at some point and wasn't a runner by the end of his career. But take us back to those times in the early 70s. What was Bill Buckner like and uh, had those races come out? Well, yeah, what was he like? He's the most fierce competitor I ever, I ever knew. And, John, he was also uh, going to play football at USC. He was a wide receiver. He was recruited to play both. He was going on more of a baseball scholarship. I was going on more of a football scholarship. But uh, we wound up both being drafted by the Dodgers uh, 
playing for time in Lasorda and Ogden, Utah, going to USC after our rookie league season, joining a fraternity together, playing on a flag football team uh, together. Um, you know, we, we did it, kind of did it all together. And uh, as I mentioned, what Buck was was a natural-born hitter. Everyone who saw him, including Ted Williams, I remember in his first uh, spring training in 69, Ted stood around the cage and said, now that boy can hit. That's a hitter right there. And we even got to talk to Ted Williams a little as 19-year-old guys. You know, we, um, you know, in our sophomore year, with the Dodgers expanded the roster in September. We were students during the daytime, and for nine games, we were in Dodger uniforms at night. Uh, Buck was pinch hitting, was upset that he wasn't starting. I was pitch running, and I was happy to be there. And um, you know, he he was just one of the one of those guys that the younger generation might know Paul O'Neill and might remember Paul O'Neill when he made an out. Well, Paul O'Neill was Billy Buckner light, if you will. It, it was uh, when Buck made an out, it, it was close to being the end of the end of the world. I remember Walt Dawson saying that he was going to find Buck if he ever threw his bat again. And after making an out and, and Buck, uh, you know, let go of a $5 bill once, and that was only to get a better grip on it. And um, he, he made it out and started, he kind of flipped his bat, and it was like a baton that, that never stopped bouncing, and it hit, and it bounced, and it hit, and it bounced, and it bounced in the dugout, and it landed right on Walter's chin, and I think it knocked his cigarette out of his hand, and he fined Buck $20, which was, I, I think it kept Buck from throwing his, his bat ever again. Then he started throwing his helmet. <laughs> well, it, it, if you look at the, uh, the the tape of Game 5 of the 86 ALCS in Anaheim, there was Billy Buckner screaming obscenities at Mike Witt before he singled off him to start that big rally. That's what got the Red Sox to that World Series against the Mets in the first place. And, you know, Bobby, just to, to kind of finish up, if you don't mind, on, on Bill Buckner and his legacy – in this day and age where it's all about swinging for the fences or beyond, to remember that the number of three strikeout games for Bill Buckner was zero in 16 major league seasons. I mean, Sunday there were 15 players who did what Buckner never did in 16 seasons where it was possible. So, you know, a guy that never had a 40 strikeout season and still hit around 300 for his career, that's remarkable. Well, he was remarkable, and the strikeout, you know, the pitcher-hitter confrontation was in a different stratosphere when it came to Billy Buckner and a pitcher. Uh, he had a, a true uh, dis dislike for all pitchers, and uh, for them to strike him out, um, it, it was like the, the end of the world for him. So he, he didn't strike out. I think he struck out less than 20 times when he led the National League in hitting one year. 20 times. That's in a year, not in, the, not in a week. You know, people are used to 20 strikeouts uh, in a weekend series. So um, he, he was a spectacular player. And if, if they said then that you have to hit more home runs in order to get paid more and be a, a bigger star, he would have hit more home runs because he could. He was he – was, fabulous 
in the batter's box. One more, uh, and that is, some people might not know this, but uh, your father-in-law is Ralph Branca, who also had a rough moment, a very rough moment in Major League Baseball, where he was uh, considered a, the goat of an enormous, enormous game, the Dodgers and the Giants. And you were w one of the best friends, obviously, with uh, Bill Buckner, who uh, was castigated uh, and probably over-criticized, definitely not probably, was over-criticized uh, for the 1986 play where he probably shouldn't have been in the game anywhere because, anyway, because by that time he was pretty uh, gimpy and had been replaced by Dave Stapleton. Uh, you know both guys extremely, extremely well. I know Ralph very well, and Ralph's kind of a showman. Uh, Billy Buckner, a real quiet guy. H how do you think uh, they handled their situations, and how did their situations differ from how you see it? You know, we had many a dinner together, the three of us, uh, maybe 50 or 60, and uh, you know, Ralph always brought up his situation, and Buck always brought up his situation, and Ralph always said that it was the, the Boston media that screwed Buck, and it was uh, the sign stealing that screwed him. Uh, and and I think he, they were right on both parts. Um, he was right on both parts. But uh, I, I think, you know, Ralph, Ralph was uh, such a focal point of such a – big situation and he actually did throw the pitch and the guy did hit a home run in the first game of the three-game series and in the last game of the three-game series that that was Bobby Thompson and you know Billy Buck did everything he could to to get that team to where they were and to to be um the goat of a of a uh, Boston team I mean it, I thought it was just it's shameful on uh, the way it happened and uh uh, I, I think everybody who was involved with that um, should be ashamed. Bobby, always great to catch up with you. I'm sorry it's under these circumstances. Next time we'll just uh, talk fashion country hardball with you instead. But uh, can't thank you enough, and our, our condolences to, to a, a very good friend uh, having been lost. But I uh, really appreciate you spending time with us. Yeah, thanks, Josh. John, you guys have fun. And uh, remember Billy Buck. He, he was a special guy and a special player. No question. The great Bobby Valentine stopping by the program. We appreciate that. Of course, he used to manage the Texas Rangers, among others. And I say that because Chris Woodward, who is currently managing the Texas Rangers, is up next. Stay with us. This is Big Time Baseball. He spent 12 seasons playing in the majors before joining the Mariners as their minor league coordinator. Now the Rangers manager. The 3-1 pitch. And that is a bomb. Deep to right. Long gone. That's a big boy home run by Joey Gallo. It's Chris Woodward on Big Time Baseball. We continue Radio.com Sports presenting Big Time Baseball. It's brought to you as always by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. And one of the nice stories, I think, in baseball so far this year, the Texas Rangers were not expected to do that much quite yet, uh, obviously building on something. But it's a team that's been nibbling at 500 for much of the year. Chris Woodward getting a lot of raves as their first-year manager. He joins us right now. Chris, thank you very much for doing exactly that. And, and what is the secret sauce? How come things are going as well as they are? <laughs> uh, there's, I don't think there's any secret sauce. Um, you know, the one thing we, you know, when I when I got the job, I made sure that uh, we were going to check all our, all our all our processes, really dig into a lot of the things that we do, and um, you know, make sure that I'm a big believer in culture and belief um, in positive energy, just moving forward. So, you know, I'm I'm trying to get these guys to think on a different level. You know, we just address honestly things every day. Uh, we have such a higher ceiling than we're than we're at right now. Our guys are competing, though. 
obviously why we've we've had some wins. You know, we put some wins in the win column because we have some guys that want to win. They want to be great, and and that's all, honestly all you can really ask when you get out between the lines is that they go out and they compete and they give everything they got. And that's what they're doing right now. Hey, Chris, John Heyman here. I've heard only good things about the culture and the clubhouse and how things are going with you there in Texas. But uh, try to take me to the beginning a little bit. Uh, obviously, you, you played for a long time in the major leagues. You were a coach. I think you were a candidate uh, for a couple other jobs, at least one with the Yankees at one point. Did you always want to be a manager? And, you know, when your name came up, it wasn't the most prominent immediately because I, I don't think you had – Big connections with John Daniels and the Texas people, at least none that I knew about. How, how did this all come about that you became the manager? And, and was this something you always wanted to do? I don't think that was my goal. You know, I think about halfway through my career, I taken a leadership role in the clubhouse, especially in the big leagues. And um, I always wanted to be, you know, part of a great team. I always admired those uh, those great teams with, you know, Michael Jordan. And I knew there was a reason why those teams were successful and why they were good and why they were great. I mean, you look at Tom Brady and what he's done and, uh, in New England, and leadership kind of took on the last couple of years I was playing. I was in the minor leagues. I was back in AAA and really took a lot of those younger guys under my wing. And going to L.A., you know, being under Dave Roberts and, and that staff was phenomenal. Those players were phenomenal. And I saw kind of what it took to become, you know, obviously a World Series contender. Get these guys here to understand that there's, there's definitely a higher level to everything that they're doing. You know, we have a phenomenal staff here. You know, got, got a chance to keep some of the guys that were already here and then handpick some of the others and um, we're we're well on our way to the, the guys are really trying to buy in. They're try, really trying to learn. Chris Woodward visiting with us. So you've got a, a serious MVP candidate here in Joey Gallo. All of a sudden, no no fooling. 15 homers, 280 batting average. You, you put that kind of in one bin, and here's Hunter Pence reemerging too. I don't know if nationally people are understanding this resurgence that he's on he's hitting 300 he's got the same number of runs batted in as gallo does can you talk about those two players and how much they mean you know the first conversation i ever had with joey was you know i I was pretty honest with him i just you know i set my sights pretty high with him and i wanted him to set his sights high um but but having him understand how he was going to accomplish that i think was was the goal you know i talk about process a lot and getting consumed with with his process and understanding what those processes are and, and how he can improve and not being afraid to tackle some of the inconsistencies and maybe flaws that he had before. Um, and I'm really proud of him because he's addressed those things. He's addressed everything from a physical standpoint to the mental standpoint, the psychological dealing with. He's been very, very honest and open and vulnerable, honestly, and he's really bought into it. And numbers are unreal. You know, I mean, Joey's he's probably one of the most talented, if not the most talented player I've ever seen. So you include that with his processes now, and that's his foundation. So I feel like it can last for a long, long time if he continues down this road. Hunter is one of the most phenomenal human beings I've ever been around. Um, I had a conversation with him before we signed him. You know, and we were lucky enough to get him on a, on a minor league, you know, invite to, to, to big league camp, which is incredible considering what he's done so far. Uh, but I had one conversation with him and called J- John Daniels right back and said, we have to sign this guy. He represents everything I want, you know, in the clubhouse from a cultural standpoint. And so the next step was, you know, he was really digging into some hitting mechanics. And, you know, I saw him the last two years in, in San Francisco. There was a flaw there that, you know, if he fixed, he can clean up, that he could still be successful. I mean, he's got a live body. So the fact that he may be an older guy doesn't show liveliness to his body. So he doesn't look old at all. And once I saw him in spring training, I realized, okay, if we can if we can get this guy right from a mechanical standpoint, he actually might have a monster year. And he did. He bought into it, and he he learned and he listened, and he was really 
really open to new ideas from a mechanical standpoint. I mean, where he's at right now, as good as I've ever seen anybody. Chris, I want to ask you about uh, Willie Calhoun, who's a terrific offensive talent and started to put off some great numbers uh, uh, this year. And I'm just curious what you think his offensive potential is and uh, whether he's got a position that you feel that uh, he'll be able to fulfill at the major league level. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I think he's worked so hard um, physically that his body is much better suited to be a better defender. His lack of mobility, his lack of speed, you know, his, his body wasn't in, in the shape that he would want it to be in. So defensively, it was a little bit of an issue, but um, he's fine. I mean, he actually made some really good plays out there for us uh, in the time he was here in left field. Uh, I actually mentioned, you know, maybe getting to second base or something to Ruggie, uh, then maybe he could fill in there. Um, but I wanted him here. I've, I've been wanting him here for a while, and for some reason, nothing, you know, all our injuries didn't happen where he could actually get here. So we made a spot for him. And his his offensive potential is, is kind of kind of unlimited, to be honest with you. I mean, he he's came here and he made a huge impact on our ball club because when we got him, we had lost five games in a row, and we proceeded to win eight out of our next nine with him. So um, you can see the impact he had on us. Fun players on that team. We didn't even talk about Elvis Andrews or Mike Miner, but – Maybe next time. <laughs> Chris, keep up the great work, buddy. Thanks so much, and uh, give everybody in Arlington our best. Thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate it. Very cool of Chris Woodward to come on. We continue, in fact, wrap things up in just a moment. John's got his insider nuggets. We'll go around the diamond and get you all buttoned down here. Big-time baseball from Radio.com Sports. But those two names, Mike Scott, Nolan Ryan, joined by Dallas Keuchel, coming to third Astro with 10 or more strikeouts in a postseason game. What are the latest rumors around the game? Josh Lewin and John Heyman go around the diamond on Radio.com Sports Big Time Baseball. Radio.com Sports presenting Big Time Baseball brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class with John Heyman, Josh Lewin. We're wrapping it up by... Getting you the latest info across Major League Baseball with one of the game's best insiders, my good friend John. So as we go around the diamond here, this might be the last time on this podcast, John, that I get to say what's up with Keuchel and Kimbrell. Because after June 3rd, after the draft, the compensation piece goes away. So here's my, my last chance to run this one by you. What are we looking at? Yeah, I'm going to miss these guys. I'm going to miss talking about them. But uh, I think we're going to see something. I, I, I think technically uh, within 24 hours of the draft, that's where the, the draft pick compensation goes away. So technically we could have something June 2nd. It could be a mad rush like in the NBA, but it may take a few days more. But I, I, I would think there's discussions to set something up pretty soon uh, after the draft, if not that de- draft day. So, um, you know, with Keuchel, it, it, he recently threw – uh, for six teams, about six teams, and uh, you know, I have a list of the six teams that I believe have some interest in him. I'm not sure these are the exact six teams that saw him. I know that the Yankees did, and we've connected the Yankees to Keuchel a few podcasts ago, and I think we connected the Rays to Keuchel uh, a couple podcasts ago. So those are two of the teams, but uh, there are four more teams that uh, are in on Keuchel as far as I, I, I'm hearing. Uh, one is the Braves. There's been some hints of that, but the Braves, I think, would look at Keuchel. I think they'll also look at Kimbrell, and that may be the more likely one. Uh, three other teams, uh, all contending teams that I've heard could have interest are the, the Twins, the Brewers, and the Cardinals. Uh, the Brewers have dabbled in some interesting late pickups in the past. Uh, as we know, they signed Kyle Loesch late. Uh, they just got Gio Gonzalez uh, a few weeks ago, and he's doing fine for them. But uh, they still have some concern in the 
rotation. Uh, so that's another team. The Twins, uh, they have five starters, but they don't have a lot of depth. Uh, and they have a great team that I, we, we've called as the winner already in the AL Central. So, uh, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're building and trying to win the World Series. So uh, that would be interesting if they did it. Uh, they certainly love what's going on so far, but uh, might as well build on that. And the Cardinals are a team. They've also made some late signings. Not this late. Uh, we know that they signed Holland last year. Did not work out for them. But uh, the Cardinals are a team that uh, I believe are looking at Keiko as well. So those six teams, Twins, Brewers, Cardinals, Yankees, Rays, and Braves in on Keiko uh, from what I'm hearing. As far as Kimbrel goes, I, I'm still going to go with the Braves as the most likely. They have the room. They're not near the threshold like the Nats. And I think the Nats are close to out of it anyway at the way they've gone. Uh, Braves just need a little boost in that pen. And uh, Kimbrel, the ex-Brave from Alabama, loves it down in Georgia. That one makes the most sense to me. All right, another traditional podcast piece for you and me. It's the uh, the NL East managerial carousel spin. <laughs> Very good. Uh, Mickey Calloway and, and Davey Martinez, are, they're both currently employed as we speak. And we always seem to go back to why did the Nationals ever get rid of Dusty Baker? Uh, I don't mean to put it there exactly, but uh, where's mm -hmm. all that right now? Right. Well, uh, since our last podcast, uh, Mickey Calloway got the uh, vote of confidence from the Mets, and they did it uh, fairly strongly. Uh, they uh, said that uh, he was there for the foreseeable future, and uh, they won four straight games after that. So uh, I think we can assume that Callaway is there uh, for at least a, a matter of weeks, maybe a month or two at least, probably. Uh, but I, they didn't call it through the end of the year. So, uh, And I'm un of the understanding that uh, with the new regime there, uh, the way they have not gotten off the way they'd hoped to, the big talk about them uh, potentially being the favorite in that division, uh, that uh, Callaway is still on a bit of a warm seat right now. Uh, Davey, there's been less discussion about Davey Martinez uh, with the Nats, uh, other than to say that this is not the right time. We need more time for him, and I think uh, he will get more time, but he is on a warm seat as well. Uh, Dusty Baker, he's not going to go back to the Nats at this point. They should have kept him in the first place, I believe, and many people also believe, no knock on uh, Davey Martinez, but Dusty Baker did a fantastic job winning 90-plus games there two years in a row, and that was a, a major mistake. But I, I, I would speculate here, and I, I recently talked to Dusty, and he, he's willing to um, come back and manage or would like to come back and manage in the right situation. He's not going to take any, just any situation at this point, and he's not talking about any situations because uh, he doesn't want to put any heat and, and on anybody who's already got heat on them, and uh, he understands that uh, these guys have difficult jobs, so he's not talking about any job. He's not talking about the Mets job. He's not looking back at the Nats job, but I would speculate that he's a potential candidate uh, with the Mets. I think that would be interesting. Uh, he's got a connection to Omar Minaya. They're very close, and um, I understand it's a new regime with Brody Van Wagen in charge, but Omar certainly has a say there. And, uh, you know, if things start to go south again for the Mets, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of speculation with a lot of big names of accomplished managers, Buck, Mar Buck uh, Showalter, and uh, Joe Girardi and many others. And there are many guys out who don't have jobs right now who are accomplished managers, Mike Matheny, Jeff Bannister. But, uh, you know, I think Dusty Baker would be a good fit in New York if it came to that. And uh, I would not be shocked if he was the guy. Last one I got for you, John. I'm just looking for details on the guy that was picked number eight overall in the draft last year, Atlanta, with, with Carter Stewart. 
and all the talk that he's just going to zing on off to Japan and, and, and go that route, which is highly unusual. But what, what are you hearing? What's going to happen? Unusual, but it, it will happen. Obviously, he had a bad episode uh, with his draft the first time. He was picked eighth. All things looked rosy. Uh, the Braves only offered him in the end uh, the 40 percent they were required to do to, to have that uh, draft choice not go away and be able to have that pick uh, now this year. And so he did not sign with them. Uh, they claimed a wrist injury, and uh, he went and pitched, and uh, uh, apparently pitched well, but was targeted to be a sandwich pick or a second rounder and probably get $2 million tops. But instead, he has shocked us and shocked everyone around baseball uh, by agreeing to a deal in Japan. So he will play in Japan uh, incredibly, as, as Ken Rosenthal first reported. And my understanding is the deal uh, is, I don't have the exact figure, but it's between $6 million and $7 million, And he can realistically earn uh, potentially, potentially up to uh, $12 million if everything goes fantastically over there. But uh, there are a lot of benefits to this. He can be a free agent. Six-year deal, he can be a free agent at 25, uh, which is... Uh, Pretty amazing deal. Now, you know, MLB isn't looking at this as some terrible thing. I think uh, some players may look at this as a fantastic opportunity uh, for them. And uh, But it's going to be a small minority that do this. It's not going to be for everyone. He went over. His family went over. They loved it in Japan. He's got that guarantee, as I said, of 6 to $7 million, which is three times what he was going to get in the United States. He'll be a free agent sooner. So there are advantages for him, but this is a guy – uh, obviously with a big arm, big potential, and the willingness to go to Japan is not going to be for everyone. So I don't think MLB may look at it as a threat, but it's certainly an avenue for players to consider if uh, things do not work out for them at the major league uh, with major league teams. So he's going to sign with Fukuoka Softback Hawks of the Nippon League, and that deal will be announced on Thursday. Speaking of going to Japan and becoming a success, uh, our thanks again to Bobby Valentine for joining <laughs> the program good. today. Nice segue there, right? Thanks again to Chris Woodward. John, appreciate you as always, my friend, and I guess next time we talk, it'll be right when the draft is going on. It'll be fun to chronicle all that and, and see if Cody Bellinger is hitting like 427 by then. <laughs> we hope so. It'd be great. <laughs> Hey, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate it very much. Once again, Radio.com Sports presenting Big Time Baseball. I'm Josh Lewin. He's John Heyman. Take care. Thanks for listening to Radio.com Sports Big Time Baseball. Brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. Josh Lewin and John Heyman will be back next week diving into the latest across Major League Baseball. See you This has been a presentation of Radio.com Sports. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 